and welcome to some derps talk about games i'm your co-host mango and i am your co-host buddy and today we're going to talk a little bit about dark phoenix but before we do that buddy why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast well it's pretty simple on this podcast we like to talk about games but uh we have long since dipped our toes into the waters of kind of like mainstream nerd culture and i don't know that we would be in such a culture without the X-Men series of movies, right? The X-Men movie came out in 2000, I, I want to say, maybe 1999. And kind of, you know, along with The Lord of the Rings and along with the the resurgence of Star Wars with the prequels, I think, kind of ushered in this, like, renaissance where we moved away from kind of the action of the 80s and 90s movies and into something that is, so, that is like, firmly, like, nerd-centric, right? And so it is very weird that 20 years later, we are still getting movies that are technically in the same continuity. I mean, very, te- like, I mean, it's just technically, right? Like, in the course of another, what, five years, Michael Fassbender in this movie has to turn into Ian McKellen? What? Yeah. I but mean, I'm not going to worry about that. Also, it's it's over. That's the other thing. <laughs> this is the last movie in the, uh, in the basically, the Sony x-men universe um because the rights go back to Mar- either they go back to marvel or they sold them licensed them back to well no, marvel. no 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 so okay so uh just to like get this out of the way because it will obviously come up um the x-men rights have been held by fox since uh like 2000 right sorry i confused what is it so- sony has Spider-Man? sony has spider-man yeah right. sony has the spider-man movies um and so uh fox has x-men fox also had daredevil but the rights on that lapsed and they also had uh, the Fantastic Four, um, and so now that Disney bought Fox last year, they reacquire, you know, like, the rights to the X-Men films, um, the Fantastic Four, etc. Hypothetically speaking, we could see Wolverine in the MCU, though basically everything we've ever seen coming out of, like, Kevin Feige is like, no, I'm not worrying about X-Men or Fantastic Four for a long time. So... Although, weren't there rumors that a Deadpool was going to make the jump, like Brian Reynolds' Deadpool in particular? Uh, yeah, so that whole side of things is going to be kept intact. We don't know if he's going to end up in the MCU, or uh. if he's just going to, like, they like Deadpool, Deadpool movies make money, there's going to be a Deadpool 3 at some point. Um, you know, like, that, that stuff, that side of the equation is intact. The X-Men side of the equation, unfortunately, uh... Or maybe fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, has been fully and completely dismantled after Dark Phoenix. This is the last. Oh wait, New Mutants is still around, right? What the fuck is going on with New Mutants? What is New Mutants? I'm, I'm un- New gonna... Mutants. So okay, so honestly, like I find the behind the scenes shit of this like more interesting than. Uh, the in front of the camera stuff like dark phoenix and new mutants both basically got entirely reshot like twice um new mutants apparently is coming out there it's not coming out in august april That's 3rd 2020 oh, 2020 okay it got moved to 2020 yeah google update your release dates you liars um so maybe april 3rd 2020 we see the new mutants movie and that'll be the final final for real final final one in the in the saga 
or yeah, or maybe that's when that crosses over. I feel like they might be setting it up with, uh, with with uh, with they mentioned a multiverse in um in the Homecoming trailer, not Homecoming, mm. um, Far from Home, Far from Home, yeah, the Spider Man trailer. So that's an easy and obviously, um, I bet you if it's gonna be something along those lines, we'll get a hint of it in in Far from Home just because in like the post credit scene or something because that's the way that they tend to work. Um, but uh, we've been avoiding it but let, let's give our pre-spoiler opinions on on dark phoenix um mine are simple it's bad um it's it's i would say even not worth seeing even from a completionist perspective um the dialogue is terrible um and uh nothing else is uh and and uh what, what like the plot's also bad so you know it's a bad movie. Yeah, I mean, I said, uh, what did I say? I said, that was a very bad movie that had some of the most awesome stuff I've seen all year in it, which is true. Like, I do feel that way. There are, like, maybe, like, five to eight minutes in this film that I think are, like, not just good, but, like, really awesome. And in a better, like, in a better movie, they, they would be, like, showstopper kind of moments. But that's, like, eight minutes out of, like, a two-hour movie Come on, man. Plus, like, all of the, you know, like, all of the connections between... And, and each and every one of these moments are completely and fundamentally botched. So, this isn't even, like, there's a good movie in here. It's just, like, a couple of scenes that they shot worked. And worked well. But it was really just a couple and absolutely nothing else. Um, so... Yeah, this was a very bad movie. I would also not recommend it for completionists. Um, I mean, like, I cannot imagine someone who is really into, like, the Fox X-Men universe, which, you know, I don't really... There aren't really fans like that, as far as I understand, um, would look at this as a fitting or complete or, you know, satisfactory ending to that franchise right like i imagine that dark phoenix will look a lot like justice league for for dceu fans um in the sense that like oh well it got reshot a bunch of times and all of this like studio meddling and then disney got a hold of it and they they had to you know some changes or whatever and so like maybe there will be you know some some there will be some kind of like this release the snyder cut of dark phoenix he wasn't involved but we'll let him cut it anyway this is part of the thing this is part of the thing that i find like interesting about kind of all of this stuff is that these kind of release the snyder cut fans only exist in the context of the dceu like i have never seen any like nobody clamors about this for like the Transformers movies, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, Michael Bay fans who are really mad that Bumblebee retconned a bunch of Michael Bay's shit. Um, yeah, so, I don't think that that's gonna happen for the X-Men movies, and I don't really think Dark Phoenix is worth going and watching, and, yep, it's bad. But we're gonna talk about it for a fucking hour, so buckle I up, mean, Buttercup. Unless we fail out like we did with Hellboy. Yeah, um, I mean, that's true. Oh, God, Hellboy. Yeah, so, I mean, so, yeah. So, they, so yeah. That's, that's part of this, too, right? Like, it's not even, like, bad enough to be entertainingly bad. It's mostly boring. Um, and that's kind of, like, the worst sin of all. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. Um, but with that, I think we're going to hit the spoiler warning, then. If, for whatever unknown reason, you desire to go see this movie unspoiled, stop listening now. If you don't care, or if you've already seen it, keep listening. 
All right. Well, uh, how do okay. We... So, because most of you probably haven't gotten to see this movie, given its ridiculously awful box office, which holy Jesus, um, the 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 plot of Dark Phoenix basically follows what we would think of as the typical Dark Phoenix plot line, right? Like the X Men go into space because they're helping out the United States guys because they're they're good boys. The Phoenix Force shows up and gets stuck in Jean Grey. She comes back down to Earth, and not everything's going all, all all right. There's a bunch of aliens that show up and take human form and are trying to get the Phoenix Force from Phoenix in order to, like, you know, from Jean Grey in order to, like, rebuild their home world on planet Earth. She constantly goes to places, and then people follow her to places, and then a fight happens, and she, like, leaves. And the whole thing ends with her killing all of the aliens and then leaving planet earth and then i guess the x-men join up with magneto or like or the, i'm sorry the x-men get taken over by beast is the new headmaster and magneto invites charles xavier to what i assume is supposed to be genosha uh for for like comics literate folks out there all right uh is that roughly how it happens in the comic books Oh my god, no. I mean, okay. Dark Phoenix in the comic books is pretty bad. People think of it as being better than it than it was. Um, but yeah, like, you know, Jean Grey kind of is one of these characters who, like, because she was made in the 60s and, like, obviously, rest in peace to Stan Lee, you know, you're a legend and everything, but, like, there just wasn't a lot of very sophisticated, like, writing for women in, at, at that time. And so Jean Grey's personality was just the girl, right? In a team where, you know, there was Beast and there was Cyclops and, and everybody else kind of thing. Um, and so, like, the whole Phoenix saga kind of is the thing that unlocked Jean Grey as a character and made this character who'd been in the comics for a really long time, like, kind of interesting. In the same way that sort of, like, Gwen Stacy dying is when Gwen Stacy unlocks as a character, which is also not a great example of you know but wasn't wasn't like storm a character that was popular like yeah so there was the first the first wave of x-men is iceman cyclops gene gray beast and who am i missing iceman cyclops gene gray beast wolverine and no 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 because like that was the kind of one of the big things about the x-men universe is that like the original five characters who i can't remember the is it colossus uh, no, I'm going to just have to look this okay, up. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, I'm mostly working off of, like, cultural references, because I, I am not a big comics reader, as we, as we have established several times. Yeah, 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 definitely. Oh, Angel is the last one. Who's um, Angel? Angel is in X-Men 3? Oh, is he the in the movies? The with the dude with the wings? Yeah. He also gets cool later with, like, Apocalypse. Oh, he was in Apocalypse, right? Didn't was he, he get the metal wings in Apocalypse? God, oh, you're right. He was so forgettable. Yep, he did. Anyway, um, the original X-Men got this kind of, like, infusion. Uh, like, they relaunched the series, and they added in this kind of, like, giant international cast, right? So Wolverine comes from Canada. Storm comes from Africa. Colossus comes from Russia. And then a bunch of other people, like Banshee, who's in first class, comes from Ireland. Um, Sunfire who I don't think has been any, in any of these movies, maybe it's like a cameo somewhere, comes from, like, Japan or whatever. And this is where, like, a lot of the cool Nightcrawler from, from 
Europe, uh, from Germany, right? Like, so this is where like a lot of like the cool X Men that would later be folded into and become part of that, you know, like main team come from. And they all have, like, their personality. Like, if there's anybody who I think gets done justice in this film from, like, a character perspective, I actually kind of feel like Storm, this is maybe the best version of Storm that we've ever gotten. Just because, like, the Halle Berry version is kind of a non-entity. She doesn't really do things um, and isn't really, like, an active character. She's just kind of there. Uh, and then she was didn't do anything in Apocalypse either because she was, like, mind-controlled. But, like, like Storm is legitimately kind of, like, a badass. Um, and, uh, and, like, so is the that team for a while. post-Dark Phoenix? Yeah, yeah, all, like, all this stuff. I actually okay. feel like Dark Phoenix might be when these guys come around. I can't remember. Um, so this does not match the, the comic storyline very closely. Though I will say it matches it closer than the X-Men the last stand version of the dark Phoenix storyline did just because it's like alien and stuff. The Phoenix force is like legitimately this thing from outer space. And there are legitimately aliens that are interested in it. I don't know who the Dabari are. I think they're supposed to be scrolls, but you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. With this, with the things filed off, the Sierra numbers filed off. Cause it's, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, is that like, there's this whole thing, God, man, this comics lore is so convoluted. Sometimes you guys, there's this whole thing with the X-Men and the space empire called the Shatari who are also featured. I want to say in like annihilation and like that set of comics, um, the Shatari are the like X-Men space guys in the, in sort of the same way that like the Cree, you know, are this sort of like space thing that ties together like Captain Marvel's mythos, right? Are the and Shatari the, scrolls... the bug people? Uh I read Annihilation War when Ga- Guardians 1 was coming out and there's like a mantis like not like not mantis but like a I think I thought it was like a bug person that like stole like the serum like you know like the the anthrax space anthrax so i don't think that they are bug people but i think that they have like a lot of different people from a lot of different races Uh. um there they have an empress whose name i don't remember and then they also have um like gladiator who's this guy with like a big fin for a head sort of like uh what's the the guy from guardians of the galaxy sort of like that guy i mean like it's not the best but i think these guys are supposed to be the shatari um which, by the way, are not to be confused with the Chitari, who were featured in Avengers, uh, the original 2012 Avengers. All right, so they're spelled with an with, with an S H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And All I think right. there's like an apostrophe in there. All right, whatever. I I don't care enough. Yeah. About this. Anyway, this movie is bad. I guess we should just like start talking about how bad it is. No, let, let's let me ask you more obscure comic book questions that way we don't have to yeah. talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should just we should just go. I, so for, for listeners at home, I stumbled across the list of DC alternate universes and I sent it to Buddy, basically being why and how. Um, and asked a bunch of questions. so so maybe maybe one of these weeks we'll we'll just like run through the list of of alternate. I would DC. be very happy to do that. I've actually been rereading DC, like, a lot of DC comics recently just because, like, I have the DC Universe app, and it's, like, an easy thing to do when you're, like, falling asleep kind of thing. So it's I'm very gonna fresh I'm going to make you explain hyperspace mind. to me at some point. 
Oh, yeah, hyper time is so dumb. Hyper time is a little before my time. Like, that was right before I got into comics, but, you know, whatever. That's off topic. Okay. All right. So, Dark Phoenix. Oh, God, Dark Phoenix sucks. Uh, Like, I don't even know what to do. Okay, here are the things that I remember as standout moments where I was like, oh, wow. Like, look at this movie go. First of all, Michael Fassbender. I can't tell if I'm just, like, a Michael Fassbender, like, fanboy at this point, but I just think he's so good. In, like, everything. Any moment that he was on screen doing stuff as Magneto, I was like, oh, yeah, Michael Fassbender, you're so good at Magneto. Now, that doesn't make a lot of what happened good. Just that he specifically is good in the part. And I don't know that I can really tell. I mean, uh, James McAvoy, I think, is okay. He looks a little young, I think, Fassbender, for a World War II Veteran, well, not Yeah, I mean, he would be 60 60 at the time of this movie. (laughs) And he he doesn't look it. Um, And Charles also doesn't look the right, because he's supposed to be about the same age as Magneto, right? Yeah. Yeah, he he, he also doesn't look the right age. Like, I feel like this movie, if they had set this movie in like 82 instead of 92, maybe Mm. it would have, it would have played it. It didn't bother me too much. It's just like I did the math in my head. While I was sitting there, because I was generally bored, and I was like, he seems pretty young for someone who is at, like, minimum, like, 56 years old, maybe. Assuming, like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, for real. He's, like, like four that is... when, when the Holocaust happens. I don't, I don't actually know how old Michael Fassbender is, uh, like, IRL. Maybe he just, like, looks great. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess that's possible. He, he is 42 years old. So... Yeah, so about 20 years young. Uh, and yeah, Jim McAvoy is 40. So, you know, also 20 years young. Uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? I Honestly, it wouldn't be a problem if they just moved the timeline forward, but for the fact that, you know, Magneto has to be a child of the Holocaust. I, how would you even fix that? Like, uh, so I have move the Holocaust my favorite, forward in the Marvel Universe? My favorite thing to fix that is to make Magneto black and from the u.s instead of a jew um and be responding to like jim crow instead of that bumps you forward about 20 years um and it also kind of like i mean part of me thinks that that's a little too on the nose since the whole thing between magneto and professor x is like you know like at this point it's a kind of played out like malcolm x MLK sort of thing, and I feel like you don't want to get, like, too close to that, if it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, um, But, you know, it kind of, like, it, what like what else are you going to do? You need to find, like, big, huge you make him, human like, rights violations. Maybe you make him gay, like... Like, Vietnamese, maybe? Ooh, Vietnamese would be an interesting one, definitely. Um, um, you could also change, maybe, like, where he's from. Like, maybe there's some, you know... Uh, I guess, like, Pol Pot is, is pretty close, right? You could do something kind of along those lines. Um, yeah, in... like, Vietnamese isn't even, <laughs> doesn't even work that well because, like, you know, like the, the, the primary point of that conflict wasn't, wasn't a, you know, like a, a racial one. It's just, it's just like a component, like, you know, just a horrible war. Um, yeah. So I don't really know how, like, I don't really know how you handle that sort of thing. That's one of those things where, like, in the Marvel Universe, the, like, the timeline just, like, makes zero sense. Because, like, you know where World War II happens, but then everything after that is just, like, a fucking crapshoot. Um, 
And, uh, but so in the movie, I really loved Magneto. Every time he was on screen, I was just like, God, Michael Fassbender, you're so much better than this movie. And he had a couple of like cool moments, right? Like the, the part of what I think is more awesome than this movie deserves is that whole action scene in the train at the very end. It wasn't great in, in the sense that like, you know, it wasn't really, like, set up well or just, like, anything kind of along those lines, um, especially to be, like, the climactic kind of, like, finisher. But just in the terms of, like, the mechanics of this is a big fight where a bunch of different people have a bunch of different powers and they're on a really fast-moving train fighting these, like, aliens or whatever. Also, the aliens are boring, but what can you do? Um, and so, like, you know... Magneto going, like, 1v5 versus those guys and then locking them in the one, in, like, the one train car and then crushing that train car with, like, with his fist and just, like, letting it drop off the end of the train. Like, how cool is that? That's an awesome, that's, like, an awesome A-plus moment that, like, in, you know, a competently directed film would be, like, a real, like, applause moment, right? But in this movie, I just feel like anything that got even close to that just super like just falls flat yeah I, I think i'd agree with you especially because specifically because that scene was not not that particular not the crushing the end car thing but the uh the train fight was in the trailer and, and it was like a fake out um and not in like a satisfying way um uh because uh in the trailer uh, did you see the trailer at all i only saw uh, it ahead of a bunch of the movies that we did yeah, I did see some of the trailers, though. I can't remember what they are for the life. Of so, me. so in the, in the trailer, the it, it appears that it's that it's that it's Dark Phoenix that's like attacking the train, right? And that they have to def they have to like make a stand against her. Um, and like that scene where she pulls the train up into the air is played as if it's her like attacking the X Men. Um, okay. And so when when like she turns right before that in the uh, in the uh, in, in the mansion. By the way. Her puppeting Charles was like my favorite moment of this movie, just because I thought it was it was fucking hilarious. Like, yeah, that yep, that was exactly ha had me going like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> just like the, the sheer <laughs> audacity of like you know like, like puppeting Char like Charles Xavier up the stairs was just like like th that was like you know that was a moment where if the whole movie was like that, I would have enjoyed it in kind of an ironic way. Yeah. But like you know, I, I guess this is like a counterpoint to your like you know you know very good minute, very bad minute that's so bad that it's entertaining minute. But you know most of it was boring. Um, yeah, I mean it actually like the interesting thing I think about the way that this movie is bad is that it is bad in a way that is so different from what most other bad movies look like these days. Um, where like you have these like weirdly like unmotivated characters like making weird decisions there the character motivations here were actually like pretty solid right and the you know kind of like moving from plot point to plot point like i talk about movies that are arthritic right where there's not enough kind of like padding between the plot points in order for that to happen like that's not this movie's problem the movie's problem is just that the whole underpinning drama kind of is hollow and it like bottoms out like the whole production but the idea that like like you know to take like beast as an example right beast believes in xavier's vision mystique has doubts they're in a relationship mystique says i want to go you know i want to leave beast says no we should stay and support our friend charles then you know 
Charles stops Beast from neutralizing Jean Grey, and Jean Grey inadvertently kills Phoenix. Therefore, Beast goes, you know, ape shit first by telling Charles to suck a dick, and then by teaming up with Magneto to go kill Phoenix, right? Like, that is a really compelling character arc, right? Like, yeah. that, all of those, all of those pieces of that story are motivated. Right, but like some of the, but the the problem is, is that like in the nexus kind of web of motivations, it all it all falls apart because obviously Jean can't control her powers and doesn't know what she's doing, and they keep repeating the same thing like over and over and over again, where she just goes like, oh, I'm freaking out, ah, and then like something bad happens. Or whatever, and it's like, you can't show us this same plot point again and again, even if it's, like, true. You know, like, I understand that, that Beast wouldn't be able to forgive Gene and that he would be, like, holding this grudge, even though he knows it's an accident or whatever else kind of thing. But just, like, the showing us of this same thing happening over and over again is what's, like, tiring and what drains all of the drama from this... Uh, from this kind of interaction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I also think that, like, the, the, the actual execution on the plot points wasn't particularly good. Mm. Um, like, when, when, when Beast goes off on, uh, on, on Professor X, um, I didn't... Wait, you mean in the kitchen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, interesting. I like that scene a lot. That would be another scene that I point to where I'm like, this deserves a so better movie. I thought that Beast was good in that scene. I thought that, like... I, I think it comes down to the dialogue. I thought I thought Charles's lines weren't great, and they felt weird. I felt that way about a lot of the movie and a lot of the characters, right? Like things didn't quite make sense, right? Like like uh, when right before she kills she kills uh, Raven, uh, Jean Grey says something to the effect of like uh, people get hurt when I get angry or something, you know, it's some 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 line like that. I know but, what the fuck. But like one, it's a bad line, and two, like it happened once and no one was seriously injured when it happened um so like she wouldn't know that and that just kind of jumped jumped out at me right like you know these are the type of things that like in a better movie that's a nitpick but like when it when it's so obvious it just it just can't help but great at least on me i also think that there are some things with setup and payoff that didn't work out in that same vein like it was so jarring for gene and cyclops to have that thing in like the room where she's like i'll always come back to you or whatever and i was like okay well you know obviously this is gonna get brought up later like we're just seeding a bunch of shit to come back later okay fine right i did not expect it to come up in the very next scene right like the very next time they talk to one another maybe five to ten minutes apart she's like you said you'd always come back to me i was like wait what like and it was that, it was uh, super it was a super like aggressive <laughs> call out too it's not like it's not like it was subtle or anything. He's just like, I'm making the reference now. Honor it. Like, it was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely, right? Like, what the actual fuck was going on with that, like, that scene and and that moment? Um, and th- and there was a bunch of stuff that, that happened like that. Like, the, the swiftness with which the human race turns against mutant kind is hilarious. Right? Like, they just... <laughs> In the space of, what, a couple of days, they, like, apparently hire and train and outfit this entire, like, anti-mutant task force or whatever, and I just, I don't understand. None of that stuff, I feel like, will ever make any kind of sense. 
Yeah, and like you, you know, you could have fixed that too, right? Like I, I kind of assumed that what it was supposed to be was that that like that force was around, and they just got reactivated when when they, you know, still you know laughably fast, but like especially that they could like appear immediately. Um, that whole that whole scene was was that that whole fight was just terrible from like start to finish. Like they're they're going up to the building and like. I was like, oh, so they're gonna they're gonna enter the building and the fight's gonna happen inside. And then like, Beast like leaps across the road and causes a traffic jam immediately for what appears to be relatively no reason, right? Like, <laughs> like it, it just uh, that, and like it, it, it's like, and and like it appears that in the, in the span of that kind of fight is when like everything goes to shit for the for the X Men, right? Because like. Mm. <sighs> I, don't, I, I don't. And then, and then, and then, Magneto brings up the subway car for no reason, yeah. whatsoever. Actually, like it you know, cool talk moment, about but... talk about things that are like cool in the in the like that are just like kind of conceptually cool, Neat in the but don't quite make it on onto the page in the way that you want, right? Like, yeah, that makes no sense in the context of how they're fighting what does putting the train car is he trying to is he trying to block off the entrance is he i like i have no idea why he did that other than to have that like crazy scene where he like walks into the room and looks from side to side and then the train car busts in through the wall behind him or whatever which got used in all of like the trailers like i have to just i can't understand uh why that is the case yeah, yeah, just... I also think absolutely everything about Jessica Chastain, who I think is a really strong actress and is really good in what she's good in, was absolutely awful. I really couldn't... I couldn't fathom. Uh, Jessica Chastain is the, the evil... Alien? Evil bad guy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, they were supposed to be emotionless, but, like... And so I have a hard time pinning. I have a hard time pinning those problems on the actors because I feel like they're acting the way that that they were t- like that they're supposed to, right? Like as the characters yeah. written, I feel like that's more of a, a writing. Problem. I also feel like they're just in there for a fucking paycheck, right? Like, yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, I also um, speaking speaking of the actors and also we, we were talking about Cyclops. I feel like like the single biggest problem with, with Cyclops is that he can't emote with his eyes covered. Like, I think it'd be a challenge for anybody to do, but like there, there's a moment really early on when he, I think, I think when he thinks that, uh, I think it's when he thinks that, that Jean's died. Like uh-huh. he like, like you can tell that he's trying to look sad, but because you can't see his eyes, it doesn't come off. Right. And I, I, I just like, like it made me really appreciate how, how, like how, how much work the eyes on the Spider-Man suit does. Mm. Um, for that, because like it, it, it just it's just such a such an obstruction to, to that character. Like I, I didn't think it was particularly well or poorly acted. Uh, 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 Scott was, but um, I definitely think the performance was was harmed by 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 the visor. Yeah, and I also feel like this is a solved problem, right? Cyclops was a main character in the first two X-Men movies, which are among, like, the better regarded ones, right? And you just, you put him in those sunglasses so that, like, you know, even if he you can't see his eyes directly, he can at least, like, emote with his eyebrows and stuff like that. Yeah. And create, like, you know, that, that's... The right face shapes, yeah, yeah. How he's able to create those, like, face shapes, but they bury this guy behind this gigantic visor, and it's like, what the fuck were you thinking? Yeah, and, and that that can work if you're doing a cold character, right? Like, see, like, Dread. Um, yeah. 
like but that that character works with that kind of stony stony mask thing like like cyclops doesn't or at least his version of cyclops doesn't i could i guess view a version but then like the relationship doesn't you know it, it wouldn't make sense to 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 do it um, yeah, I also thought Nightcrawler was not great in this one, which sucks because I actually really like Nightcrawler, Kurt. Um, and uh, I just think he, he wasn't really a character. He was just kind of like a, a tool. Yeah, he had that like one moment at the end. And like, granted, teleporting the girl in front of the train so that she gets splattered is awesome, right? right? And is another moment this movie doesn't deserve. Um, but, like, everything else that was going on with his character was not great. Like, this is in contrast to kind of Storm, who I think even as, like, a minor character with few lines and not a lot to, you know, like, she is clearly not one of the bigger momentous players. She's not even, like, really a member of the supporting cast in a way. Like, you can tell that she is still... <laughs> you can tell that she is still, like... <sighs> A, a single character, like something that jumped out at me actually, was how quickly Storm wanted to blast Gene with lightning in the in like the very first confrontation in the houses or whatever. Like, you know, Quicksilver runs over and like blocks her ability to shoot Gene with lightning, and so it was really nice when like that happened, and I was like, "Wow, geez, you're a little bloodthirsty there, aren't you, Storm?" But then later on in the movie, she's like, "No." She's not our friend. She hurt our, you know, she hurt our friends, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, oh, like, that's actually kind of a consistent character now. You know, she has two moments, right? And and between those two moments, she gets to, you know, be the same person. Kurt also gets, like, two moments. He gets, like, three or four, maybe. Um, and it just feels like he's, like, completely, wildly differently acted between all of them. And maybe that's just because Nightcrawler's a tough guy to do, because, like, typically he is, you know, like, he is the the pathos-driven sad sack at the same time as he's kind of, like, the comic relief, at the same time that he's, like, this swashbuckling badass, and maybe when you only have three big moments and you try and split it between each of those different archetypes, it doesn't work, but, you know, I don't yeah, know. Especially, especially because they, uh, the Icebox, the other comic relief... Quicksilver. I, I was so mad about that that he was just like out of the movie like yeah. so quickly. He's, he's he's probably my favorite character in in these new movies. Um, and you know, not that that's you know necessarily you know, makes makes the difference one way or another. But it, I just felt like that he was it was it was just so aggravating to me personally. Like, I don't think that necessarily makes it a bad movie. It just it just was something that was personally aggravating. Yeah, me. I mean, and this is something we called out in the Apocalypse. I don't remember much of Apocalypse, but I do remember this specific thing, which is that, like, Quicksilver was there and, like, a main part of, like, the X-Team or whatever, and Magneto was also there, and there was, like, some kind of hint towards their relationship, but it just, like, there there just like wasn't a lot going on and i feel like that that is just another squandered opportunity here right like obviously they bring in magneto they bring back michael fassbender because you know i guess he's one of the big stars uh that's been anchoring this for however many movies so why not um and you fridge the only other person you actually kind of fridge two people who are close to fassbender or close to Magneto, right? Like, yeah. the, you know, um, his relationship with Raven in Mystique, which was set up in two movies, and his relationship with Quicksilver, of of whom he is the dad, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know how yeah, those mean, kinds it, it of decisions got made, but... It, it probably would have been a little bit much to, to have been, like... 
I get you, you could have done something like you could have put like Quicksilver in a coma and been like, you know, Casey doesn't make it. You know, Eric, you need, you need to know that he's he's your son or whatever. But I feel like that would be a little bit much throwing it on top of like, and Raven died, right? Like, yeah. Um, but you know, that would have been better than what we got, I think. And <laughs> right? it's not even like, and you know, like there's even some interaction between like Magneto and Storm because they were both horsemen of Apocalypse. I mean, listen, listen. If we want to just scrub Apocalypse from our memories, I think that's fine. I thought um, Apocalypse was a better movie than this. I don't remember enough about Apocalypse to make that kind of a, a, a judgment call. I remember liking some things about Apocalypse. Again, very located on Michael Fassbender. I remember being very moved by, you know, Magneto lives out at a factory in Poland, and uh, and he kind of has this, like, little tragic kind of, like, story ramp-up thing where he has a wife and a kid now, but then he uses his powers to, like, save somebody in, like, the factory and everybody realizes who he is, right? Like, all of that stuff I thought was uh, was really good in Apocalypse, but I just, like, honestly don't remember anything else about it that I can't make a judgment call. Yeah. Uh, I Which, mean... by the way, is one of the craziest things because I am the person who loves to, like, go back and rewatch all of the other movies before we see the most recent one. You know what I mean? Like, I did that for John Wick. I did that for all these fucking Marvel movies or whatever. And so the fact that I approached Dark Phoenix and I was like, hmm, should I rewatch, you know, like, the last couple of X-Men movies just to keep my eyes like, no, what? No. Yeah, well, you know, that's this this universe has been going downhill. Is is Logan technically in this universe? Not Logan. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, or um Days, I guess Days of Future Past is where the link is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. and I actually I, I remember liking Days of Future yeah, Past Days of though. Future Past Yikes. Was great. Um, yeah. Because it was directed by Brian Singer. Um I remember liking Days of Future Past and I remember liking Days of Future Past cuz it gets Magneto very right. Like one of my favorite things about Magneto as a character is that he is solely and fundamentally driven by his ideology and that's not something that you like it is something that you see all the time but it's not something that you see like played with and something that days of future past did like probably my favorite moment in days of future past is when um as soon as magneto understands what mystique is going to do in the past right as soon as he has an inkling that she is going to cause the Sentinels, you know, like, to go and kill all of these mutants or, you know, like, whatever else sort of thing, he immediately turns from, I need to help my friend Raven, to, I need to kill her, right? Which is, like, I mean, the, which is the kind of, like, brutal decision-making and completely, like, ruthless decision-making that I feel like makes a good villain, but, like, you know... It's interesting because depending on which way the wind is blowing, you might be working with Magneto or you might be working against him, right? And that kind of stuff playing out over the court, like inside of a movie, is always really neat to see um, compared to, you know, versions of things where that happens between movies, right? Or like in the, in the Apocalypse version where he's like getting mind controlled and shit like that. I don't know. It's just all, it's all kind of a mess, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I'd absolutely agree. Um, how did I, I? I like. I'm struggling to kind of under like realize like like how this or understand how this movie took two hours. Like it, it feels like there wasn't a lot of substance there. I guess they spent a bunch of time in the beginning that I'm that I'm discounting, but it, it felt. It felt like not a lot happened for a movie with a two-hour runtime, at least. Yeah, 
that is a good point, and I think that's kind of highlighted by some of the like. Um, I've I've heard that Dark Phoenix was supposed to be a two parter, which you know two parters being you know notoriously something that uh, doesn't come to fruition. It doesn't sort of surprise me that like the plot is kind of like weirdly overstuffed and it ends up not making not making an impact because I do feel like quote unquote a lot happens in this movie but like when you actually sit down to think about it um not all that much happens like for instance the whole thing with like Jean realizing her past was a really long and drawn out convoluted way of kind of getting to that that I was kind of expecting to just be like a conversation do you know what I mean like a version of things where the Phoenix Force breaks down Charles's mental blocks in inside of her head. Um, and he, uh, and she has like a conversation with him where it's exposition, but it's also, you know, like plot, right. Where she goes through and she understands like the momentous betrayal that's happens. And she articulates that for us, the audience, and then moves on and we're good. But we actually spend like, 45 minutes in the beginning of the movie kind of like working through all of this stuff with Jean and going and talking to her dad and I was just kind of like why are we drawing all of this stuff out even the stuff with her dad like why are we drawing that out um I don't know I I think so like I think they needed it to like hook in kind of like everyone hates the mutants now plot because like she kills the cops in that scene and that's kind of what turns the world against them but like it felt very um, how do I want to put this? Very, very, very hackneyed. Like I don't even know why the cops were there in the first place. That was that was actually my immediate thought. Is like, why are the police here? Like nothing has happened. I don't think that that the police should should have, should have shown up. I was. I mean, Zinger so called them. I was actually thinking that maybe this would take a kind of like you know part of this is just like me rewriting the movie in my own head right. in a way i thought that the dad was going to try and kill gene and be like you killed my wife sort of thing yeah. right and so like you know cuz he's like do you want anything to drink and she's like no and he's like let me go get you some water and it would be like poisoned or something or like he would come back and have a shotgun and try and shoot her and that yeah. would like trigger the phoenix force in defense or whatever but she would blow up the house and all of this other stuff and and you know oh he calls the cops on her you know, or the firing of the gun gets the neighbors to call the cops or, you know, any of those kinds of permutations of it to make kind of, like, more sense. Um, But, like, instead, he just yells a little bit. She's like... I will will say, in kind of the vein of moments that I thought were neat, or uh, I thought, like, the moment where he's, like, you know look like you know like look inside my head and see it right like I, I thought that was that was a neat moment um i don't know if it was like super great but i i, I thought the, the the raw emotion even if it was kind of in a sea of bad context was 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 at least different it, 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 i thought it was good because it did like that thing where it where you like really draw upon what makes the character unique in order to kind of like make the point uh-huh. uh but uh you know like like he's, I, I was honestly expecting the same thing, especially with like goes back and gets a gun, right? I, I think the way the, the the shot was framed too was like kind of from his perspective, but you couldn't see him or you could only see like part of him. So I thought it was gonna you know pull out and he was gonna have a gun in his hand, right? But no, he just had a 
glass of water and then she got angry because he didn't have any pictures of her yeah and i was just kind of like i wonder if this is part of the reshoots like maybe that's like too dark or maybe like there's something in there where he commits fucking suicide or something that was another side of i was like maybe he's gonna come back with a gun and like kill himself right in front of her and she's gonna freak out it just felt it felt like there needed to be a bigger impetus for her freak out in order for that like to happen and also not to mention the fact that like the the face of there is no face of humanity like i was kind of hoping that that might exist where it's like you know we have characters like this like rose byrne in the original movies is moira you know moira mctaggart working in as with the cia or whatever like maybe she is the person who is sitting in the war room with the president and they're watching video footage of phoenix freaking out or whatever just something along those lines to kind of like put those decisions into context all that stuff happening off screen i thought was just like absolutely terrible um because it i mean these are really important plot moments right like obviously all of them getting rounded up and put on this big train for the action finale it's like you know it's it's where it's where everything sort of leads but like all of that stuff happens off screen and yeah. and it's like the the big plot lead into your final battle i mean come on you, you just reminded me of well well like he has a phone the president calls him on the phone then like literally less than two days i think later he tries to call the president the, the, this this line's going to be disconnected. He's like, yeah. I need to tell the president not to do this. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what kind of fucking Ugh. line is that? Yeah. And it's not even, like, they could even do, like, Senator Kelly, you know what I mean? Who's, like, this big plot point from the first X-Men movie. Maybe that's something that, you know, like, comes back. Like, I don't know, bitch. Oh, so super dumb. What, plus, there's, like, Weapon X and all of this stuff. I mean, Weapon X came out of nowhere in Apocalypse, too. So. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, now you remember. Um, <laughs> I, I, maybe they just stopped caring at some point, right? Like, because, you know, they, they knew that the series, series was over. I, I thought it was, like, weird that they had kind of, like, the... I guess it was supposed to be like a sequelish hook right at the end there, right? Where like uh, she's like, oh, it's not the end for me. And then you see like the bird in the sky over Paris. Um, I don't know. I figured they would have at least like not have left it open like that. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea about any of that stuff. I mean, like, I do kind of like the final repudiation of Xavier that this movie gives. Like, that's another piece of, like, you know, like, that that beast thing that I lined out I think is pretty good. But also, the version of things where, like, Xavier's getting a little too high on his own supply and it is becoming more about his ego than about following the kind of ideals that he set out and when you know when mystique calls him on that you know because she's she's his sister so he so she can see through all of like the bullshit and as soon as things start going you know as soon as it starts raining it starts pouring because he's making bad decisions like kind of all over the place like that's a that's an interesting place to go like professor xavier is really you know he is the he's like the the gandalf he doesn't really get his own character arc in in these movies he's just kind of there to facilitate like wolverine's character arc right or you know whoever else magneto's character arc all of the ex all of the first class people's character arcs kind of thing and so to see him kind of like be challenged by the story um was also neat 
in theory. I feel like the only move, the only moment that that really worked was in the in the kitchen scene, and even then, I I think that was more on Beast. Like I think that was mostly Nicholas Holt being really good, yeah, rather no, than absolutely. you know James McAvoy or the writing being really good. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I don't know if I've got uh, anything else to talk about with this. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a bad movie. Don't watch it. Don't remember it. We'll just pretend that these movies ended, right? For like, yeah. Days of the Future. Fine, come on, you know. It's tough. It's That's just always going to be tough, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I do, like, I think that part of, part of the problem maybe with some of this is that, like, a lot of a lot of the characters were very iconic versions of, like, a lot of the actors were iconic versions of the characters in the original series, right? Like, I think they did a smart thing in not trying to have, like, a new Wolverine, because I don't think anybody could have done it. But, like, um, what's, what's the actor's name? Uh, or Ian, Mc, Ian McKellen and John Luke Picard, whatever his real name is. Um, uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah, Patrick Stewart. Like, I think we're very iconic versions of of Professor X and Magneto. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, like, to, to your point, I think uh, I think this Storm is a very iconic version of Storm. I don't think Halle Berry was was was, was a very iconic version of uh-huh. uh, uh, of Storm. But like, when when you do that kind of thing, like, I think I think it's just hard to to kind of have it follow on, right? Like, I I know that like. Part of what, part of the things that didn't rest right with me, I think, is the way I'm going to express it. Um, with 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 uh, Professor X, is that like it didn't seem like a thing that like Jean Luc Picard would do because essentially Professor X is is Jean Luc Picard in in uh, in, in in Star Trek, um, and uh again that doesn't make it a bad movie it's just a hard thing to, to kind of get past when 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 the role just fits so well um so you know. yeah i mean i think james mcavoy is good and in yeah. the first two you know like the 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 days of future past and the the first class there's kind of enough distance that it made sense in a way um but just you know woof when it comes to when it comes to these last two movies, they really haven't made it work. I mean, I, I will still go to bat. I think Michael Fassbender is, is still pretty pretty great, um, you know, and I would say is pretty iconic. But I do think James McAvoy didn't quite get there in these last two movies. Um, weirdly enough, I actually thought Jennifer Lawrence was actually also – I mean, she's only in the movie for, like, a hot minute. But, like, that was also legit. Like, you know, she she kind of – brought her a game to a film that i did not expect it from so you know she gets a certain amount of credit i guess uh for that but then basically everybody else like even like i like nicholas holt a lot i think he makes it work um and like even sophie turner like i feel like she's better than the material let her be in a way like she kept crying in, yeah. And it was just, like, the same, like, close-up on her face with, like, a single tear running down her cheek. And this is kind of what I mean about, like, the same thing happening over and over again, completely, like, hollowing out the movie. Like, that's sort of – that's sort of it, you know? Yeah, um, like, And so she's kind of, like, a victim of circumstance. It kind – like, 
it doesn't feel this way in like when you're watching the movie, but kind of like going over the plot point in my head and it, it kind of like reads like somebody going through puberty is like the allegory it was supposed to be maybe like, like cause, cause she's like super testy and super emotional. Right. And like all like, you know, you know, changes are happening to your body type type of thing is like, I guess what I could have pulled out of that. Like, it didn't feel that way when I was watching it, but like stepping back, like you think, you think that was intentional? Or you think that was just like, I don't have a good answer for you, I guess. Um, I don't really know. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I could. Yeah, no, no, it's, it, it's fine. Uh, yeah. Let's, I guess, you, you want to talk about our weeks? We got, we All got right, let's move on. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, uh, something that I mentioned, or something that I, that I have talked about in the past that I want to bring up again, because I find the relationship between, you know, like this game, its audience, and its players to just be, like, fascinating, is the ongoing discussion about Hearthstone and Specialist. All right. Now, if you're catching up, last time on me talking about specialist and hearthstone specialist is a uh it's a new game mode that you will you are allowed to play in hearthstone where um you bring a main deck and then you have two alternate versions of that deck with five different cards right so essentially you have your main deck and then you have a main deck which has a little bit of a sideboard and then a main deck that has a little bit of a sideboard and those two sideboards can basically be different right the original point of view on this was oh this is going to be great this is going to be super cool right we have been asking for sideboards in hearthstone for a long time in order to make hearthstone pro matches like better and more interesting so obviously specialist is amazing then specialist came out and everybody was playing warrior v warrior or like rogue v rogue or whatever and everyone's like oh my god specialist fucking sucks right like you don't get the you don't get the same kind of uh breadth of deck variety that you used to with some of the older formats because the older formats force you to bring you know three different classes to a tournament or whatever so you could bring warlock warrior rogue or whatever but now with specialists everybody just brings the very best fucking deck and you know like and that's kind of the the end all uh the end all be all now we are halfway into uh hearthstone grandmasters which is the hearthstone they they have um They've gone to league play, kind of like the LCS, where it's just, you know, a bunch of people, 12 people, they are in, uh, they have two matches a week, and at the beginning of each week, they need to set um, a, uh, they need to set their deck lists, right? And now... People are saying specialist is even cooler and even better, right? And the reason and th this th this is the most interesting part for me. The reason that it, it is cooler and it's better now um, isn't anything in from when people originally kind of uh, saw for like foresaw specialist being interesting. Um, the reason that people are into it now is because it's completely unlocked this new sort of deck type, which is like these really flexible decks, right? So it's not like I'm going to bring, you know, this kind of mage, right? And, 
that mage has a couple of different like tech options in my sideboard it's i'm going to bring this deck and then i'm going to remove a few key cards and put in a, a different package and then i'm going to say okay this is either mid-range beast hunter or mid-range mech hunter depending on which of the two i'm running right or like a mid-range death rattle value hunter or whatever and so now the thing that is like at a premium um compared to all of the other different uh uh compared to all of the other different like formats out there is to have a deck that is flexible between its main secondary and tertiary versions right um and so i just find that to be insanely cool because it's not even something that i thought of um and uh, and the other thing that they did is blizzard did a balance fix uh the last time we talked you know, Warrior and Rogue were running amok because Rogue was the best deck in the game and Warrior was the only deck that could beat Rogue. And so there were a lot of, like, Warrior mirrors and stuff like that. Um, they have since nerfed Rogue a whole bunch. And so the meta is much more evened out at this point. So, yeah, fucking Hearthstone Esports, man. Like, who knew? <laughs> uh, yeah, I certainly didn't. <laughs> thanks thanks for the, uh, the, the Esports update. I have not been watching... Magic esports, maybe I should start. I have been watching some vods though, just because um, people theory crafting weird decks is my jam. Um, the only thing I like better than watching somebody theory craft a weird deck is to theory craft a weird deck myself. Um, and so it's 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 been fun with that. I've been kind of obsessively playing um, to the point where like so like the first four wins you get in the day give you better rewards. After that, up to fifteen, it's like alternating small gold rewards and single cards. Uh-huh. Um, and so I've been, I've been like waking up before work and getting my four games done. Um, oh my God. Yeah. But it's, it's just like, I, I got like, I gotta go. Um, uh, they've been doing event modes each week, um, for war of the spark. It's kind of like a story tie in, right? It's not as full fledged as anything that Hearthstone did, but it's still neat. Um, the first week was some weird, like you get a deck with random mana and all the planeswalkers, and then you get like a token that you could spawn random creatures from. And it wasn't great because it was too luck based. But like last week was Popper, and this week was Singleton, and kind of I, I think that I, my hope is that these are kind of test runs for um, implementing them as like more regularly occurring modes because they, they are fun in their own way because they're 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 their own challenge. Um, uh. The uh, the thing being that you need to. Like you unlock cosmetics with them, like uh, uh, they you, you get a bunch of different card art now, um, uh, and like you can buy them. But like uh, one of the sets that they've released is uh, basically stained glass versions of all the planeswalkers, and you can earn them. You know, uh, there's a new three of them each week with this uh, uh, with, with this uh, pack. So um, it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun uh, just to try new stuff, um, like. During Popper, I kind of just ran a mono red face, you know, face rushing type deck, a red aggro deck. Um, but I stumbled across this combo kind of by accident where it's like the, the card's active treason where you take an opponent's creature and you get it for a turn and it gets haste and you can attack once with it. Um, and then there's also this card, it's Hellfire, which is two mana, sack a creature, uh, deal four damage. So I kind of discovered the combo of... Um, you know, capture somebody's creature, attack with it, and then sack it. And it's both, you know, some offense and removal. 
Um, and so I built the whole deck around that concept once I came out of Popper in like in, in normal mode, and I've been having a lot of fun with that deck. And th- that's kind of what keeps me going with Magic. Um, not only like you know having weird concepts and then being able to iterate the, on them a bunch, right? Like yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think I think that's what why I always fall off of Hearthstone is like there's not as many like in, in Magic there's like six or seven things that all kind of do similar effects. And those differences can make the difference in whether or not you win a game, but, like, because there's multiple ways to do that, you can kind of iterate through which versions you're using for it, right? Like, this cap and sack deck that I've been building has, like, switched out a bunch of cards with sacrifice effects, a bunch of cards with uh, capture effects, um, a balance, right? Like, dealing with issues with not having enough card advantage. Um, and, uh, and the fact that there are so many tools kind of available is great. Um, because I can kind of iterate through the design space and have I, like it doesn't feel old because I'm I keep picking up kind of or keep experimenting with new ways to do kind of the the same general theme where there's not as much of that room in Hearthstone, and so I, uh. I think that's that's ultimately why I fell off just because there's not there's there's not as many ways to do the same thing in Hearthstone. So there's not as much room for experimentation. Also, just kind of like you know base. There's sixty cards in a Magic deck. Um, and 30 cards on a Hearthstone deck, and it's not quite one-to-one because you don't get a... Uh, you don't have mana in a, in a Hearthstone deck, but it, it feels... The decks feel smaller, at least to me, in Hearthstone, um, probably because of the class affiliation. Uh, whereas, like, you can mix and match with colors and, and whatnot. Um, honestly, I think it's probably just that there's, like, a shit zillion magic cards and, like, not nearly as many Hearthstone cards. Yeah, and I also think, um, like, I think to a certain extent it's also, like, a weird matchmaking sort of thing. Where, like, in Hearthstone, because of the way, like, the ranks work, it's just, like, really common that even if you're in, like, rank 20 or whatever, you're and you're playing a meme deck, you're going to be running into a lot of, like, the best net decks out there. And that can just always be, like, frustrating. Like, I understand, like, the joy of playing meme decks, obviously, um, but like, it can be frustrating to run around playing meme decks when, um, same thing happens in arena though. There's, there's like, I'm, I'm playing ranked. I'm made it to gold, baby. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, but it's it, it, but that's exactly the thing. Like you've been having success with these meme decks, whereas I think like Hearthstone oh, okay. is more punishing because of the way that it's matchmaking like works or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think, I think the kind of real answer there is I can iterate out from like a pure meme deck to like a semi viable meme deck where you can't do that as easily in Hearthstone. Right. Like, like my original Simic ascendancy deck, Simic ascendancy is a card where um, every time you put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature, you put a counter on Simic ascendancy. And when it has 20 on it at the beginning of your upkeep, you win the game. Um, uh, it started just as like a deck with with that card and like a bunch of stuff that threw plus one plus one some things. I was focusing on the amass mechanic because it's new. Um, as I've iterated on that, I've kind of dropped a lot of the amass. I've picked up things like explore. I've picked up things like uh, uh, what, what would another one? Just just uh, various mana ramp because that's part of the green identity. It's a green blue deck. Um, like the most recent change I made was to add uh, a card called uh, a mana ramp card called. A, or arboreal something um essentially lets you play an extra land and it's a it's a one drop um but it doesn't have any of those plus one plus one mechanics so i i didn't have it in in the deck and never thought about putting it in the deck um mm-hmm. but as i've iterated through um i've 
kind of built it into a much more viable deck. The secondary win condition is just like hit their face with big creatures because it's, you know, you're putting a bunch of plus one plus ones on things. Um, and you can't really, I feel like you can't do that nearly as effectively in Hearthstone, right? You can't like make your way towards, towards a viable deck from a pure meme deck. Um, uh, and uh, I think it's to uh, the detriment of, uh, of Hearthstone, but you know, maybe that'll come with time and cards. Uh, yeah, I mean, part of me wants to say, like, you know, fucking Disguised Toast finds a way to meme in Hearthstone all the time. Yeah. And I feel like there there is probably more space than you are giving it credit for. Yeah, it's probably fair. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, what is the other thing I wanted to talk about in the back half of today's... Uh... We were talking about... What were we talking about? We were talking about for the show, and you said you were going to save it for the end. Yeah, I know. Uh, I completely blanked on what exact what it was. <laughs> oh, uh, th- so uh, it's it's Five Nights at Freddy's. Have right. I talked about my love of like these FNAF games on, on the podcast have, but, before? But, uh, because let's it for a list for new listeners. Okay, so for anybody who doesn't know, the Five Nights at Freddy's games like came out and it became like this meme, right? You know, like people play it and they go ah, and you know it's fake or whatever. But like since since that has happened, it has been. Once, like, eight games have come out in, like, the FNAF series, and they all have this, like, similarly, like, cryptic and creepy and, like, very mysterious lore to them, right? Where it's like, you know, every game is kind of happening inside of, like, the same universe, but it's not clear what is going on in, like, the bigger picture. Like, even if inside of the game itself you kind of understand, um... It's not it's not clear what's going on in like the bigger picture. And so watching people, uh, specifically the game theory guys, like that's just a theory. Um, th- watching those guys come up with like the deeper lore readings of FNAF. Um, the it's just I, it's just crazy. Every time a new game comes out, there's like something new and awesome to kind of, like, add to the lore. Um, The game before this one is called Ultimate Custom Night, and is literally you versus every single animatronic that has ever been in Five Nights at Freddy's, plus some. Um, There are 50 different characters um, in, in that. And Ultimate Custom Night basically is the story of one child, because, like, the whole thing... So, okay, this is, this is the, the bedrock of the the Five Nights at Freddy's series, right? They're these animatronics, and they're running around, and they're trying to kill you, right? And you can do stuff to stop them from doing that. And the reason that they're trying to kill you is because they are inhabited, don't laugh, by the souls of murdered children. There is a child murderer who runs around the, uh, the Freddy Fazbear's pizzeria right and he murders like and he murders kids and those kids become get locked in the animatronics and then they want to like murder people <laughs> the murderer is in like the jack-in-the-box right uh what, what maybe i don't know i remember watching a bunch of uh, detailed <laughs> videos a long time ago because the second the second game is set the second game has like a mini game that's set in the past Oh, the puppet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the the person in the the jack-in-the-box is the very first victim of the child murderer, who's the guy that owns Freddy Fazbear's William Afton, right? Okay. Um, He murders a kid, and that kid becomes the puppet, and the puppet then 
like takes the souls of these other uh, dead kids and puts them in the animatronics. And so the puppet kind of is like saving them in, in, in like its own sort of way. Um, Why do they want to murder the security guard though? Uh, that part is like unclear at various points in time. It looks like the security guard was William Afton or was his son, Michael Afton. Uh, just like all this other shit was like going on. It's so, it's so convoluted. But anyway, 50, uh, ultimate custom night is the, the personification of William Afton in hell, right? It is him being tormented by the, so one of the things that, okay, so one of the things that the puppet does is the puppet puts, like, souls in animatronics or whatever. Um, but it is only until those souls can then be, like, released, if that makes sense. And in one of the games, they do get released. Like, there's, like, the Happiest Day minigame or whatever where you can go back and, uh, like, you do something and you help the souls in all of the animatronics, you know, fly free out into the into the, the, the their afterlife, afterlife right yeah and you, and we know this and it's, all this stuff is super like we know this because like one of the end screens is all of the animatronic heads with their lights on and then one of the end screens is all of the animatronic heads with their lights off and if you do like the correct quote-unquote good ending with the lights off right you get all of those animatronics but something that's been in the game since the very beginning is golden freddy which is a special um it's a special Freddy animatronic that is, like, literally gold and is the fifth kid who got killed was put in Golden Freddy. And if you follow all of the lore clues, Ultimate Custom Night is Golden Freddy refusing to, um, give like, go to the other side and instead wants to stay in hell tormenting William Afton for all eternity, right? Um... So that's, that's like where we left off. The new game is a VR game. And it's a VR game that goes back over all of the other games. And it'll do mini games. And it'll do specific like levels with like the same mechanics. So like you play through Five Nights at Freddy's 1. And then Five Nights at Freddy's 2 or whatever. But you're playing through it in VR rather than, you know, like at your keyboard or whatever. Um, and the new game has this whole story about how the... Fazbear Entertainment people have sold the rights to Fazbear stuff to um, a video game developer, right? And that video game developer is, like, making a horror VR game based on, like, the property, right? Um, but as... And, and you are playing as a beta tester, right? You are you are a QA... Uh, you are a QA person going through and playtesting, like, the game or whatever. And you slowly, like kind of come to find out that one of the things that, like, all, all the stuff that they scanned into the game, quote-unquote scanned into the game to, like, make assets and stuff like that, included a digitized version of William Afton's consciousness, and he's fractured in all of these different pieces, but, like, as you play through the game, you're inadvertently helping him get back together so that he can use his VR headset to, like, switch consciousnesses with you, a la Futurama, that one episode of Futurama. 
Um, which is like crazy. And I sounds really dumb when I sit down and explain it, but like in the context of like these playthroughs, it's amazing and it's super cool. So that's the other thing that I have been, that's the other thing that I've been doing all week is watching let's plays of people putting together all of the FNAF VR, you know, like lore. My, my favorite detail about this is actually that it looks like there are three endings to the game and all three of them are bad endings. Um, which I find kind of hilarious in a way. Um, yeah. Cause like I mean, normally you'd think that there's the good ending and there's the true ending and there's, you know, but it's like, no, like every single one of these endings like sucks and is bad. I mean, it's also like, it's like a one man game, right? Like it's one, one person makes these games. It's all, it's, it's probably the type of thing where like, you know, maybe he'll patch in another ending later. Like, uh, Undertale, I think, is notorious for having things patched in later that people, like, come to the files. Because people are obsessive about this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure that there's lots of bait in there. Yeah, the VR game, I know, was developed by a VR studio. But, like, okay. all of this stuff comes from Scott Cawthon, who is, like, the like the single head behind, like, the Five Nights at Freddy's, like, whole franchise. All right. Um, well, speaking of weird games that have lore told obscurely that are kind of incomprehensible and have weird deep lore that people obsess over the internet uh at the microsoft e3 Where panel are you going uh, with this <laughs> well there's 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 a new there's a new FromSoft game um, oh oh right 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 yes, yes called yes. elden ring um by miyazaki who's the guy that did uh dark souls and uh, george rr R. martin um so you know that'll probably be an adventure I don't know. I, that's the other thing is I've been the thing I've been doing is is getting hyped for E3, um, and uh, we we were, we're recording this right after the the Microsoft conference. Um, you did not watch it, but I I, I was I, I'm always glued to these things because I I love them. Um, uh, earlier in the week, we got a Stadia announcement, and uh, Destiny did their announcement, which isn't they didn't call it E3, but it's you know it's within a week. It's kind of relevant. Um, Destiny's going free to play in September, which is neat because I bet I can make a bunch of you people play with me. Um, uh-huh. Like, like, it, like more free to play. Like, you know, you have the base game, but you're restricted from doing a bunch of stuff. It's apparently going to be more open with that, and everything's going to be a la carte. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that I can get more people to play with me because that stuff's fun. Um, uh, the new season dropped this week as well, which is a lot of fun, but like. I don't know. The, kind of the Shadowkeep stuff took the wind out of my sails for it because it was like, yeah, whatever. We'll get the, you know, it's in September is when the real action is going to happen. Um, uh, what else happened at, uh, at the Microsoft conference? Oh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk has release date. It's next. Oh, yeah, next year, next April. April. I'm very next excited April. for that game. Um, but the big reveal being that Keanu Reeves is a character in the game. Like, that was, it was, it's. It was it was such a great. If you haven't seen the trailer, go see it right now. Um, there's the character from the first trailer, the the dude with the golden arm, and you get into a fight, and you end up getting what appears to be killed, and then somebody wakes you up and says, "We've got a city to burn down," and it pans up, and it's fucking Keanu Reeves, and then he walks out <laughs> on stage, and he said, and he talks about cyberpunk for a couple minutes, which was like the most surreal experience. Um, uh, uh, fuck it. What what happens? He like you know he like 
he was kind of very obviously doing the corporate speak thing and not necessarily a bad way but he was just doing promotional material but uh-huh. like he's like walking through the city is breathtaking and someone in the audience yells out you're breathtaking and then he laughs and points back and says no you're breathtaking you know we don't deserve keanu he's the uh he's he's, he's the best um on that note though we do owe uh halle berry an apology um, she apparently went through a bunch of intense training and did all the action for her for her stuff in John Wick Three, which we uh, we kind of implied wasn't the case. So uh, I think we, we need to we need to retract that. Uh, um, well, so I I want to be clear. I uh, I I also I get I, I get that, um, and that she really wanted this role and she worked really hard for it. I'm just saying that there's like there's a pretty clear difference between. You know the example that I gave in the moment of the in the moment of that cast, which was like she reloads with one of the dudes she's sitting on top of gun. It's just like it's just like a hair too slow, right? Right, like, right, right. Keanu makes that stuff look so crisp and so clean. Like Fair he's enough. making yeah. these decisions before they can like react. Whereas with her, I was a little like, ah, oh, you're not quite there, but okay. Uh, but you're you you are you are she does deserve uh she does deserve a lot of our hype and a lot of our respect i guess i would say um but she but she was not at the microsoft conference um she is not in cyberpunk no unfortunately <laughs> or at least so did, not that we know of have you ever played um have you ever played uh the witcher yeah the witcher 3 like all the way through i have the witcher 3 like sitting in my fucking steam library and i've never touched it I so every once in a while I'll pick it up and I usually get through the opening like the opening chapter is huge and you don't realize it's an opening chapter until you get past it and then it's like oh there's like all this other stuff to do um and uh it's I find the combat to be a little bit clunky um not that I think it's necessarily bad it's just not something I'm I'm used to I should go back and try again I don't know if I tried since I like played Dark Souls 3 where I got kind of used to slower more methodical combat um but uh I've, I've i've never finished it i also like i'm very completionist gamer and like i hated doing the uh the gwent stuff um uh-huh. uh but i felt obligated because it's part of the game you got to do the thing that's part of the game but i think i might just ignore it next time i try uh, yeah, I absolutely feel like that uh, that that kind of like impulse because I've also like looked at it a couple of times. But every time I look at it, I'm like, okay, this is the start of my 150 hour epic commitment to you know <laughs> to fucking The Witcher, and I just like never want to follow through on that epic commitment to the to The Witcher. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things. Like if I took like a week off to do it. But I don't want to do that for, like, a three-year-old game. I'm probably going to do it for Cyberpunk. I'm probably going to take time off and just play. Yeah. Um, I, I've done that with a couple other games. I did that with uh, with uh, Nier Automata. Um, uh, I did that with uh, with Destiny. I did, I did it with the release of the first Destiny just a day, um, which was a massive disappointment. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's a miss. Uh, uh that was a interesting day. Um, uh, what else? Uh, but you know, uh, do we want to talk about Stellaris? Don't we played Stellaris for like? Oh eight yeah, hours we played. Yesterday. Yeah, we played an actual 
multiplayer game of Stellaris. We should have fucking like streamed it or something. Um, yeah. So uh, you haven't played Stellaris in a long time. Like, what were what were your That's thoughts? Last time we played, like, which was like opening weekend. Um, yeah, I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. Um, I think that like. Like, we're just finally getting to the point in the game where we're, like, everybody's, like, touching the galaxies mostly explored. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, me and Zhao are now part of a uh, – alliances in this game are called federations. federations. Yeah, so, so Zhao and I have just joined together into a federation um, – so, like, we are finally kind of, like, starting to, like, work together. I actually, I have to say, I do cherish this about Stellaris. Um, I remember thinking this about the original, like, kind of iteration of Stellaris, about how, like, it wasn't as fun um, to go out and do, like, kind of the exploration aspect in the beginning of the game. But, like, they, I feel like the new way Starbases work and everything like like that is so much better. And, like, that early game kind of being defined by, you know, like, your ability to kind of spread where there are no, you know, like, kind of where there are no limits. Um, that stuff is all really awesome and really great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 I definitely get you. Um, uh, I, I am curious to see, like, how, like, if we play again, how that, like, mid-game to end-game will feel. Because, like, I'm basically at the point where I'm just kind of, like, slapping buttons. Um, and, like, you know how, like, when you get to the end of a, uh, like, a strategy game, you end up not man- not managing some of your stuff as closely because it's all just the numbers are so big <coughs> and that you're so clearly ahead of everybody else that, like, yeah. you don't really need to care. You're just pushing towards the end game. It's not true, but it kind of feels that way in some respects. Um Maybe I'm just not turning on enough automation, but I'm, like, constantly feel like I'm just trying to, like, hit, like, you know, find buttons to hit so I can hit them rather than, like, making a ton of conscious decisions. I've got, like, overarching goals and some things that I'm working very specifically on, but, like, a lot of it's, like, a lot of it's, like, I do those things every once in a while. The rest of it's just kind of, like, I got to do busy work and slap the buttons so that, like, the things build fast. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I do feel that about Stellaris. And I like that look, Stellaris has always had an answer in this, in that it has, like, sectors and stuff like that. And it, like, encourages you to kind of, like, put some of this stuff on autopilot, essentially. Yeah, um, I, can't, I can't figure out how to make a sector. Um, I, this was, this was a, a case of argument yesterday. I think maybe, like, I've got some civic turned on that doesn't let me take, make sectors or something. But I just, I can't do it. And so, like, I, I'm manually running everything. Uh-huh. Um, even when I set them to build uh, automatically, they're just not building anything. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's the point of that feature. Maybe maybe I'm just screwed up, but um, I do think that if I could automate a lot of that, that would make that would make the busy work. Yeah, and so and and you fun. did the whole relic quest line. Like the relic stuff is all brand new. We've never seen this stuff before. Um, yeah. Um, so it's some of it's cool. So like. The 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 uh, the excavation sites are neat, but it sometimes it feels hard to like actively pursue a relic quest, right? Like uh-huh. I, I found an Arasian relic, um, and one of the steps is like find seven seven artifacts, right? But it's not like those artifacts were. Did things... you find like the refubricator? You were talking about rat people before. Is yes, that that's yeah. The, I have. I don't have it. That's the one that's being guarded by a Leviathan. 
Okay. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't think that is a true Leviathan, by the way. I started my own game of single-player Stellaris this morning because I was like, God, playing Stellaris was super fun. And I have since triggered that exact same quest line. And I, I think I had the exact same moment happen because you finish the thing and it's like, and we found the Refrubernator and we're bringing it home. And then immediately your science ship gets fucking attacked by a dragon or whatever, right? And you need to get a bunch of military power to, to take it down. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I I went through that exact same fucking process. Fuck, man. <laughs> that that archaeologist was so good. He was like level 7, right, with like all these traits. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm so pissed about it. But whatever. You know you know what the best part of that is too? Like for you, I'm sure playing a single player, the game pauses when that pops up. It didn't Oh, yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a weird thing that uh that kept happening to me yesterday. Was like I would be sitting there, like, reading, like, the text on, like, an anomaly or something like that and and realize it's, like, oh, fuck, I just wasted, like, two months by, yeah. like, sitting and reading the text instead of just, like, impulse clicking or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that it's I – I like it in general. Like, I like the ability – like, the, that it kind of keep forces you to keep moving because <coughs> um, otherwise, like – otherwise all my busy work would be done on pauses – because it's optimal, but then it would take a while for anything to happen, and then I'd have to do more busy work on pauses. Yeah, you just you just put everything on like super fast, yeah. and then pause all the time. Yeah, but uh, so I, I do like the the fact that it's kind of constantly advancing. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely weird because like to me it was like event event science vessel under attack, your thing died like. Another research trip spawns an anomaly, and so like I have to go backwards through the stack to find out that we found it, and then that it stole it back. Like so, it's it's it you know, doesn't work super well over that. Also, the game kept crashing on us, which uh, you know maybe partially on us, but but yeah, like uh, also like that's the way that these games go sometimes. So you know, I wish they were a little bit more stable. But I also wish it was just easier to get back into them. Yeah. You know, like that that was also something that I felt like could have been improved. Um, is if it yeah. was just an easy way instead of having to like wait one at a time uh, for us to get back in the game. The the problem I think is that like unlike the historical games where like you can jump like like Stellaris games progress right like uh, like from you know like a beginning state where nothing's on the map to an end state right there, there's like you know uh-huh. it's very clearly delineated. Whereas in the in the historical games, you just kind of like snapshots in time, and they're not like. They're not necessarily like, like the timeline progresses, but it doesn't like that doesn't mean that everything's like advanced further, right? Like in a Stellaris game or in like a Civ game, every Civ will be bigger unless they get eliminated as you move forward in time. In in like CK two or EU four, that's not necessarily the case, um, and because of that, I think that the way that you save calculation works differently, right? Like yeah, you, you you can't have like a game state in the same way that you do for uh, for the historical games. Yeah, but I also love how, you know, like, like one of the things that I'm actually looking forward to if we continue playing this game is the endgame threat, right? Like, because this always happens in Stellaris. Once you kind of hit the endgame, um, it'll either be, like, void monster. You know, like, some big giant threat will come, uh, like, like attack the galaxy, right? Um, and typically, you know, the galaxy will, like, have to figure out some way to kind of band together to, you know, not... Get, like not get hosed um 
but the that the the idea of that happening in a game with four human players in it is actually really compelling to me. Um, I th- and I think will be very uh, very cool and very interesting. Um, yeah, as especially because like, move forward because we're we're all gonna like you know we're we're all, we're already starting to kind of like you know rub up, rub up against each other yeah. in weird ways, you know. Uh, so you know that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I'm excited. I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, this has been such a fulfilling experience for you. I'm glad that I could reintroduce Stellaris back into our lives. Uh, I do legitimately think it is you know one of the better paradox games kind of like at this point. I remember at launch we were both very um uh negative about it um but it always had that potential and so it's very nice to be able to see like yeah yeah it got I, there you know i'm i am uh i am excited for uh, uh i'm i'm excited for imperator to get good basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah for real right uh but yeah it was funny i really trying to play imperator um or just thinking about like my my hour and a half in imperator compared to what it was like to play stellaris last night and this morning is is really kind of funny um like boy yikes (laughs) yeah um yeah i don't know Oh, one other thing I wanted to recommend, but I, we don't have to talk about this too much here, but because it has been just like I've been obsessing about this ever since I watched it. I watched all of the HBO uh, miniseries uh, Chernobyl, and I highly, highly recommend it to you and to all of our listeners out there. Um, it was insanely good. Like, not just from a... Not just because... It was like an HBO kind of like prestige series. I was really impressed by how like solidly and tightly this this was shot and written. Um, and it reminds me a lot of like, you know, like the feeling I got watching True Detective season one, for instance, stuff like that. Like, man, what a great show. And ironic, I wanted to give it that shout out because like, honestly, I just can't stop thinking about this show. I'm like all, all the time. I'm just like, oh, my God, those people. The fucking the radiation like oh uh, i just like consumes my brain and i don't know why not even like in a in like a horror way just like in a this is fucking crazy way uh yeah uh it seems to be kind of the new show of the moment like it seems like a lot of the, old, the game of thrones energy got transferred i saw a tweet the other day it's like i'm renaming my daughter from khaleesi to chernobyl which I thought captured the moment pretty well. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. No, it's, it's it's a kind of a horrific event. Um, I think I brought it up on this podcast that uh, Imperator came out on the anniversary of Chernobyl. Cause yeah. I, like, um, it's, uh, I think it's the 23-year 20 year anniversary this year. Um, maybe it's longer than that. That feels like it's really that, – that, that would be too recent. Um, well, it was 1986, so it was so 33, 33, 33, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. It, it's, it's definitely an interesting series of events. I've, I've had a little bit more of a historical kind of, uh, because, because on the, 
there just were a couple of podcasts that, that came up in my feed that, that were related that I, I found interesting. Um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a tragedy. Yeah, um, for real. Yeah. Um, what, uh, oh, I'll close, I'll close this out with, with, with a, a thing that we haven't done before on this podcast, which is a poem I read this week. Um, I read Howl by Allen Ginsberg. Um, are you familiar, buddy? It feels I, like you should I be. read that in college. We, I oh. had to, you know, like it's like a big famous poem that you have yeah. to read in college. No, it's, it, it's, it's, um, so the reason I, I, I read it is a book recently came out about not the author, but the publisher whose name like Farinetti, I believe. Um, because uh, he was the guy who was potentially being charged with the obscenity in San Francisco. Um, uh, and uh, it's 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 a big free speech case, um, which is funny because it never mm. reached anything high, right? It was de- it was decided locally in San Francisco, and this like municipal judge wrote an eleven page opinion, which is not a thing that happens, right? M- municipal judges don't write opinions, um, and like it's not official law anywhere, but it's kind of been treated that way. No one else like he was charged in no other districts with obscenity. It just is kind of held, and it's you know it's kind of a, a momentous thing. Um, it's a very interesting poem. Um, there's also some other run-ins in my life. The opening line, uh, "I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical," is also a line from a "They Might Be Giants" song, um, which is my favorite band. And then. Um, what is it? The second verse book, well, I don't know how to demarcate it, is uh, about Moloch, which has kind of entered uh, the consciousness in some like weird rationalist spheres about like kind of like societal uh, entropy, essentially. Um, and so there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in it. It's a good read. Um, it's weird. It's That's not quite an easy the recommendation. Read. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh. I'm very excited uh, for you to come in and be like, you know what, you guys need to read fucking Patterson. <laughs> uh, Actually, I mean, do you know about Patterson is a New Jersey thing, so it's also oh, an no, epic I, poem, but I know I know where Patterson, New Jersey is, but I I, 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 I am not familiar. Is is that another Ginsburg poem? Patterson is an epic poem. Hold on. I can't remember who wrote it. Um uh, that was like a big deal. Uh, yeah, okay. The, the, Patterson was by Will, William Carlos Williams, um, and uh, I just you know I just think of it in the same kind of terms as I think of Howell, and I think of you know it was in the fifties. It was from nineteen forty six to nineteen fifty eight. He wrote it, so and it was it, it right up in that kind of like beat era or whatever. So I'm really just making this is like this is like you know. Art degree. This is this is where my money. This is where my Johns Hopkins money went. Right, like the obscure reading lists of the poetry classes that I had to take to you know get my reading credit. Yeah, I mean, well, Howl is Howl is a pretty famous poem. Like I, I knew of it before, before I, I went and read it. But mm-hmm. like, um, I guess poems just typically aren't that famous unless you're Billy Shakes. Um, <laughs> um, that, that's what we need. We need. We need. We need gamer poetry. Uh, uh, along oh these lines, God. I will. I will recommend the Twitter account VG Erotica, um, <laughs> which is a parody account. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? I have this nothing up? else I'm, I want to talk about. All right. In that case, you want to write to us and tell us what you think about Dark Phoenix 
or Howl or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast. Actually, that, that, that's what it is. You guys, you all have homework. Go read Howl. I expect a two-page, single-spaced report by next week. Send it to somedurstplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at somedurstplaygames.com. Follow us on Twitch.tv slash somedurstplaygames. Um, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, uh, leave us a review and a rating. Uh, join our Patreon if you feel like giving us money. Um, you don't have to, though. Uh that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.